0: Hello, and welcome to the Bobby Yaga Project. The Bobby Yaga Project is a podcast and blog that focuses on the ritualized year, folklore, and history. Lovely researched and recorded by your hosts, Margo and Sonia. Hi, I'm Margo. I have a master's degree in American history with a focus on
1: indigenous studies. And I'm Sonia, and I'm doing a PhD in medieval history.
0: Okay, guys, welcome to Baba Yaga coming to you for the first time from one room. The Incredible. pandemic doesn't have us any, I mean it does, it, our, everything sucks, but we have conquered
1: COVID personally. We are in one room. Not and the disease, just everything else to do with it. Yeah. Neither of us have had COVID to our knowledge. Yeah. But we are double I've been
0: injected with it.
1: Yes. Well, with the mRNA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pfizer buddies. <laughs> Woo.
0: Um so yeah, once more with feeling shout out to our patrons for making this possible. Uh you are our lifeblood and uh we are getting our our brains together. Yeah. In one room but also in like the the sense of we're going to actually be doing the things that we have said that we're going to be doing. So sonia has got some some really awesome bonuses coming to you with this episode. Uh we've been bombarding the Discord with memes. Uh so come for all of your extra content. History needs come to our Patreon and you too can make it so that we can be in one room and again, we've got new projects on the horizon that we're super excited about, and those are also made possible by patrons. So far, we have all of our money
1: has gone back into things for this! We're very hungry. (laughs) But also, we do love our sound mixer and our two microphones that make it possible for us to record in the same room instead of having to hook it up to our laptops, two separate microphones in two separate places, and then Poor Margot has to slave away trying to make two audio tracks become one audio track and edit out all of my sniffling, my tomfoolery, my general problematic child behavior. So And just getting you. the
0: tonality of two rooms to sound similar right. and yeah. control all of the pets in two houses and the husbands of two houses. <laughs> and... We can have our air conditioner on now, which considering that Montreal is going through a heat wave that is starting today is glorious. Yes, yeah, so vital to my survival. So yeah, t- today we are continuing to talk about the youths. We're talking about youth culture and uh, wayward
1: youths, wayward youths. Because last week we talked a lot about the like the straight and narrow path, yeah, right? coming of age. A lot of coming of age. A lot of eh, you get a job, you become an apprentice, you do whatever. This week we're talking about what if you don't? Yeah, what if what if you're a youth and you are just just breaking all the rules, being a rebel without a cause or a rebel with a cause? Sometimes, yeah. Well, join us on this journey through time as we discuss. <laughs> Maidens, youths, rapscallions, other badly behaved teens and early twenty-somethings. Yeah. Alright, so getting this, into it. This week is gonna be a little different because rather than me going through individual cultures one by one and different time periods one by one, I'm going to do my part thematically because there are a bunch of big overarching themes that come out about you know youth and youth culture. From around, you know, the Middle Ages up till the Industrial Revolution, basically. And those big things are, number one, general disobedience slash independence to authority figures. So the things that the youths get up to that their parents and grandparents wag their fingers about and complain and carry on. Secondly is sexuality. Yes, teen pregnancy teen sexuality that has been a moral and social quagmire for literal centuries and then I'm going to round it off with violence particularly violence between young men teenage boys because this has also been a pretty defining sort of misbehavior if you will over the centuries so I think I'm going to start out first of all with the what what we will call the the general big mads the the things that make the adults get real upset with the youths for no particular reason a lot of the time parting your hair in the middle <laughs> not wearing skinny jeans yeah exactly that looking at your phone <laughs> that has pretty much been going on like since there were people but I thought we would go through some of the more fun. And uh, somewhat ridiculous ideas that people have had. So let's start out with speech. Now, as we know, a lot of slang and what slang then turns into, you know, the normal way of talking, the standard way of talking, because that's how language works. As we know, it often starts out with young people, and then it kind yeah. of filters up. It kind of trickles up to the olds, which is why, you know, your mom and dad might still say, on fleek every so often, <laughs> that you want to curl into a hole and die. Yeah. But,
0: and or why I have to, because spoiler alert, I'm about to be 30, and I have to Google a whole lot of words I see
1: on TikTok, because I am officially an old. <laughs> well, you know what? Just never fear, because this has been a problem faced by olds for many years, Margot, And they didn't even have Google. They, you know couldn't what they Googled, did not even Google. They were just confused. They were just, well, they weren't just confused. They would just um, write very, um, <laughs> very angry rants in books. This so. is my rant. I want everyone to know I am angry about the youths and their... I don't even know what to be angry at them about. Well, well, all right. In summary, Margot wants everyone to stay off her lawn. (laughs) And uh, I'm going to talk about Robert Russell. In 1695, he wrote a book called A Little Book for Children and Youth, subtitled Being Good Counsel and Instructions for Your Children, Earnestly Exhorting (laughs) Them to Resist the Temptation of the Devil. Oh, gosh. And a... uh, a big concern that he had was, I find by sad experience how the towns and streets are filled with lewd, wicked children, and many children, as they have played about the streets, have been heard to curse and swear and call one another nicknames, and it would grieve one's heart to hear what body and filthy communications proceeds from the mouths of such. That's it, that's the quote. Uh, When he's talking about children, he's you know quite obviously referring in this case he is referring to like you know just people who are not yet adults yeah I don't think it's like the four-year-olds out there cursing and swearing but doesn't that just sound like your grandma yeah like like just like aged back a little while like ah kids these days always cussing and swearing and then in the 1780 book each other
0: nicknames
1: yes the most damnable of sins
0: you're going to hell for
1: saying bestie uh, Literally. (laughs) In the preface to the 1780 book, A General Dictionary of the English Language, Thomas Sheridan wrote, The total neglect of this art of speaking has been productive of the worst consequences in the conduct of all affairs, ecclesiastical and civil, in church, in parliament, courts of justice. The wretched state of elocution is apparent to persons of any discernment and taste if something is not done to stop this growing evil english is likely to become a mere jargon which everyone may pronounce as he pleases so basically well, he was that henry higgins yeah he was he uh, was big <laughs> mad that people wanted to pronounce things differently and maybe you know use newfangled language that you know he was not he he didn't have urban dictionary yeah that's my takeaway
0: we're not here for linguistical prescriptivists so we really
1: aren't i
0: just
1: as long as we can kind of understand what you're talking about yeah we're good yeah another big concern is physicality specifically of male youths because every generation seems absolutely convinced that you know teenage boys and young men are becoming pansies are becoming just, just dandies. Yes, becoming dandies. Everyone's freaking out that Harry Styles wore yeah. a dress on the cover of Vogue. Well, it's not new. Just have to say, why
0: can't we bring back manly men? I want to see fluffy pantaloons. I want to see high-heeled. I want to see
1: insane-styled wigs. Yeah, I also want to see men powdering their faces and putting little leather patches over their pock marks. Yeah. Real men get smallpox <laughs> and survive it. That's yeah. how you know that he's a good, strong provider, ladies. <laughs> he got vaccinated for smallpox? Get out of here. Get out. <laughs> Who are these little wimps you're hanging out with? But seriously, it was a big kerfluffle about... You know, who, who is being, you know, strong and manly yeah. enough in many cases. They're, you know, again, I'm, t- I'm pulling from, like, different sources of quotations of basically people bemoaning that the young men of the day are weak and <laughs> sad. So we have Letter in Town and Country magazine that was republished in Paris Fashion, A Cultural History, and it dates back to 1771, where... The writer asks, Whither are the manly, vigor, and athletic appearance of our forefathers flown? Can these, referring to like young men of today, yeah. be their legitimate heirs? Surely, no. A race of effeminate, self-admiring, emaciated fribbles can never have descended in a direct line from the heroes of Poitiers and Agincourt. Moving forward a little bit, Scientific American was also very concerned with the, like, sad, pathetic state of <laughs> the youths, in particular with regards to their choice of activities. So in July 1859, they published this warning, quote, a pernicious excitement to learn And play chess has spread all over the country. The numerous clubs for practicing this game have been formed in cities and villages. Chess is a mere amusement of a very inferior character, which robs the mind of valuable time that might be devoted to nobler acquirements, while it affords no benefit whatever to the body chess has acquired a high reputation as being a means to discipline the mind but persons engaged in sedentary occupations should never practice this cheerless game they require outdoor exercises not this sort of mental gladiatorship
0: so you heard it here first and or in 1771 uh, the queen's gambit is corrupting the youths and our founding
1: fathers were a bunch of pansy boys yeah absolutely um (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the whole message that I got from Queen's Gambit was she should have been outside doing some physical pursuits, perhaps, you know, doing some push-ups, doing some sit-ups, running marathons. What was she up to? And the men of the French Revolution are a bunch of losers. Well, no, this one, this quote Mm. is from 1859, so it's more like the, the men of the... I don't. I don't know what well, was the, happening. But the other one was. Oh yeah, yeah. The 71. other one. Oh, they were absolutely a bunch of pansies. Yeah. I mean, so all of know. the men of the the French Revolution. Yep. Uh, but we Roves, can see...
0: Pierre and all those people wielding guill- guillotines. Nope. If they were real Pathetic. men, they would have beheaded them with their hands. <laughs> the real men of Poitiers and Agenco would behead them just with their
1: fingers. Just. That's, that's what you do to a, to a overzealous monarch. Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, they should have had such incredible biceps that they could just put the monarch's head in the crook of their elbow and then flex, and it just, the brains come a spewing out. That's, that's the ideal, truly. I think my, uh, my final, um, comment though, has to come from Robert Louis Stevenson. Yes, that Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of Treasure Island and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that Robert Louis Stevenson also wrote an essay in 1894 titled The Philosophy of Umbrellas. And he declared, quote, A mendacious umbrella is a sign of great moral degradation. Hypocrisy naturally shelters itself below a silk, while the fast youth goes to visit his religious friends armed with the decent and reputable gingham. May it not be said of the bearers of these inappropriate umbrellas that they go about the street with a lie in their right hand? Oh my god. Yep, so... If you ever have used an umbrella and you're under the age of 25, shame on you. You should be a vigorous youth who just takes, takes some gingham fabric, holds it over your head, and then sprints off to your, quote, religious friends. That's the only reason you should be leaving the house, kids, is to go to, I don't know, Bible study.
0: I just, this is a great aside because, uh, the famed Jean-Philippe Mathieu, my husband, uh refuses to use an umbrella and we live in like downtown montreal so we walk everywhere so when it is raining and i'm like do you want an umbrella and he wears glasses which i don't know anybody out there who wears glasses and has been in the rain knows you cannot see if you don't have an umbrella and you're wearing glasses But he refuses. He refuses to use the umbrella, even if I have one, even if I have an extra one. He's like, no. And he just gets wet. We'll be walking for like 30 minutes in the pouring rain, just wet. And then he's just wet wherever we go. And his reasoning is, then you have to have the umbrella with you. Like, when you go inside, and I'm like, but then you're wet when you're inside. Uh,
1: sounds like you're married to an absolute Chad. <laughs> sounds like you're married to a real man, Marco. I mean, I am, but also. <sighs> well, also, he, he's, he's not a youth, though. He's damp. <laughs> he's, he's allowed to, he, he could be allowed to use an umbrella if he wanted to. It's only the youths who should be vigorous enough to just run uh, outside in the rain. And so. we are official old. Yes, yes, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling around to check on nursing homes. <laughs> Thank I you. am a sprightly 27-year-old, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah, the affairs have been left up to me. Speaking of affairs, now it's time to talk about the next hot-button topic. Ooh. Sexuality.
0: Ooh, definitely spacey.
1: So, basically, since, I don't know, like, the beginning of time, people have been freaking out about those kids getting, getting it busy in the sheets too young.
0: Heavy petting.
1: That's right. Getting that hoochie-coochie. So, basically, I mean, I guess before we had, like, you know, a, a capital C civilization, where, like, you know, you have a agriculture and land ownership matters i'm guessing this maybe didn't matter quite as much but since we've been like writing things down and having settled agriculture as a thing people have been really really obsessed about women not having sex before marriage because you You know know who that land's going to exactly if if you're gonna have a patriarchal society you gotta know that your wife isn't sleeping with people on the side you want to make sure those kids are going to be yours this is why let's just give that up and form
0: matriarchal societies. You know who a child's mother is.
1: This is very true. <laughs> there is, there actually are certain civilizations to this day that do that. Yeah, and I'm like, I think that makes a lot more sense. It does, but you know, I'm I'm not here to tell you what to do. No, but okay. you know, anyway, just a suggestion to all society. Yes. Strong agree. I mean, also, abolish private property, but whatever. That's a whole other aside. Um,
0: We have a lot of suggestions to all of society.
1: Is that not this entire podcast? Um, But anyway, so we're going to skip ahead a few because for a long time, it's just like, no, women must be virginal and chaste, but, like, dudes, you can basically do whatever you want. But then the Middle Ages come around and Christianity starts to, you know spread more and more and Mm -hmm. you know in the western world at least quote unquote western world so now you kind of have this dual this this duality where on one hand you know you are supposed to be this chaste person who like neither gender is supposed to have sex before marriage but also, like, young guys can normally kind of get away with it. Like, as long as you don't knock up a woman of your own social class or higher, you're probably going to be fine. Wow. Like, nobody cares if you go and sleep with a sex worker. No one's going right. to care if you're, like, the lord of the manor and you sleep with, like, the the scullery maid. Yeah. Like, that's going to suck for her, but, like, yeah. no one is going to bat an eye at you. Well, she shouldn't have been such a little slut. Exactly. Maybe <laughs> she should have closed her legs and... <laughs> Wow, trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, this that whole was, uh, episode is a uh, big yikes. Well, we we're
0: talking about bad
1: behavior among the yeah. youths. That's very true. I mean,
0: yeah. Obviously, distinct power imbalance yes. is not the
1: fault of the person with less power. Yes. To be very clear, we're talking about in the society itself, the point is the man would not experience consequences yes. if the woman he impregnated or had sex with was of a lower social status by and large. Yeah. Um, The only time as a man you were really going to get in trouble for it would be if this was a woman of similar or higher social status because then it's a whole time. Oh, because then it's a whole time where you've, like, ruined her reputation and you've ruined her purity and now she can't get married and now her family wants you to marry her and it's a whole thing. So that being said, I mean, there were definitely ways that societies have gotten Around this heavy policing of women's sexualities, particularly younger women's sexualities. For example, we have the tradition of bundling, where a young couple would lay in a bed together. Bundling's my favorite thing. And they would put a wooden board between the two of them and then wrap each of them up like like swaddle them, basically, like like babies. So that neither of them could move their arms or legs and then they could just like hang out in bed together all night like chilling talking having a having a, a a sweaty time i'm guessing under all those blankets for reference see uh
0: mel gibson's the patriot this yes. is the only historically accurate moment of that entire film everything else is trash and don't believe it
1: very fair um other examples include certain like ritualized um aspects um For example, in our midsummer episode from season one, we talked about uh, Ivan Kupala Night in Eastern Europe, where part of the festivities were that all the, you know, unmarried but marriageable, like, youthful men and women of the village would go into the woods together without chaperones. But again, this is like, okay, this is a chance for... The younger boys and girls to get to know each other a little maybe maybe have a little bit of get like a little smooching other. but again you know you're probably not full on having coitus in the woods where literally all the other people your age from the village are yeah so you know it, it's again it's kind of a default like yeah there's there's a little bit of like you know canoodling A little heavy petting, but for the most part, in terms of actual sexuality, very heavily policed. So this also resulted in a lot of stigma around unwed mothers, quote-unquote, and quote-unquote illegitimate children. Well into the 20th century, an unmarried woman becoming pregnant was grounds for immediate dismissal from her job because she was seen as morally corrupt, so this really spans from you know the middle ages where you might be a servant or mm-hmm. you know other domestic worker you could get pregnant factory workers into the 19th century think like fantine from les Mis yeah um where when they find out that she had a child outside of marriage she immediately gets dismissed from her yeah. job um and again this this keeps going into the 20th century Um, A lot of the time, to avoid that type of situation, the woman's family would basically manufacture a shotgun wedding where whoever Mm -hmm. impregnated her would be pretty much forced into marrying her in order to preserve the family's and the woman's honor. Mm -hmm. However, if the man fled or was otherwise, you know, not able to be hunted down and found (laughs) this would often end up with the woman either being cared for by her family and her child would be cared for by the family. If her family disowned her, she would most likely end up as a beggar or at perhaps a convent. And in the 19th century, you start seeing institutions specifically made for quote fallen women. So women who were seen as like redeemable, but who had made a mistake
0: right like the uh, the homes for young women that the irish church yeah set up yeah. and then they would just adopt out the babies often without consent
1: yes yeah. so you have those situations um, in you also see it in the like in north america As well, and elsewhere in Europe, um, different variations on that theme where sometimes the children were adopted out, sometimes the women were allowed to keep them. Often, these institutions would focus on, you know, finding some way to get a woman into a job where she could care for herself and potentially also for her child if it was not like a situation where the child was forcibly adopted out. And the other big thing to remember is that. Historically, even the appearance of sex or sexuality was frowned upon because it would, you know, besmirch the woman's character. Because there's this idea of, well, you know, if she's willing to do this physical thing in public, she must be doing even more in private. So you get a lot of moralizing on things like music, reading material. Dancing. Dancing, which we have from an 1816 issue of the Times of London. Quote, The indecent foreign dance, called the waltz, was introduced at the English court on Friday night. It is quite sufficient to cast one's eye on the voluptuous intertwining of the limbs and close compressure of the bodies, to see that it is far indeed removed from the modest reserve which has hitherto been considered distinctive of English females. Now that it is forced on the respectable classes of society by the evil example of their superiors, we feel it is a duty to warn every parent against exposing his daughter to so fatal a contagion. Wow. Because prior to this, right? Like, if you've ever seen a Jane Austen adaptation, all the dances are like, yeah, like the line. Yeah, it's not line dancing. You know what I mean? Like, where it's two the the men yeah. are on one side and the women and it, you like sort of move around in yes. a weird pattern. Yes, and the only physical contact that's being made is, you know, you are holding hands. hands like very very gingerly holding hands. Compare that to the waltz where yes, people are quite a bit closer. You yeah. could you're essentially you know. in an embrace exactly, and that was you know very scandalous in 1816. We also have. In the 1790 book, Memoirs of the Bloomgrove Family, the Reverend Hitchcock wrote, the free access which many young people have to romances, novels, and plays has poisoned the mind and corrupted the morals of many a promising youth, and prevented others from improving their minds in useful knowledge. Parents take care to feed their children with wholesome diet, and yet how unconcerned about the provision of the mind, whether they are furnished with salutary food or with trash, chaff. Or poison. Oh man. So once again, you have a lot of the, these kids reading their twilight and getting bad <laughs> ideas. These kids and their newfangled dances. And it's very much. <laughs> Out here twerking. Exactly. It's very much how dare you twerk energy. Yeah. Um, so once again, it's just a very. Like it, it feels
0: very much like Ben Shapiro
1: and WAP. Yes, <laughs> wet ass p word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's literally that is not new. It's been going on for centuries. Yeah. Just, just people wringing their hands and clutching their pearls over honestly pretty benign.
0: Yeah, that's things. gonna be my like. If I ever get to talk to Ben Shapiro about this, which I never will, and I honestly would hate to ever have to actually personally interact with that man, but like to come back and be like, you know what's really awful? The waltz. You know what people shouldn't be doing is the waltz. You know what is really terrible? Writing things down, because how will people learn if they're able to just write things down? Like, oh, it's just, it's everything. Any new technology that's introduced or any new cultural
1: anything, people are
0: like, oh,
1: yeah, people, people like to be creatures of habit. You know, they don't like new things.
0: And And if I wasn't allowed to do it, if I wasn't allowed to shake my butt on MTV, if I couldn't Snapchat my friends in the middle of the night you don't get to talk to your friends in the middle of the night. If I didn't get to make a career out of being a TikToker and I had to become a literal accountant, you all have to become actual accountants
1: too. On that note, (laughs) we're gonna get on to my last point, which is, we've talked about you know, the general adults getting mad at the kids for doing Perfectly benign things. Yeah. We've talked about the policing of youth sexuality, specifically with women. Yeah. And now we're going to talk about the more concerns around the male youths, which typically formulates as violence. Right. So let's get going. First thing to remember is a lot of the time, violence did not necessarily even mean 100% physical, like violence violence but just the threat of it and the way that a lot of younger men and teenage boys would conduct themselves so it's not violence per se but the threat of potential violence so for example in the uh 16th century it was very popular among you know young men who were a little bit above like you know not actual peasants but you know you're maybe like landed gentry or maybe yeah. like a like a towns person. It was very popular to wear military style clothing which was based off of uh what Swiss mercenaries would wear. And Swiss mercenaries were known for very, you know, flamboyant, colorful, like very, you know, big feathery hats, the whole yeah. the whole thing. Shab- think think like a portrait of Henry VIII when he's all done up in his like 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 a tunic. Fluffy pants. Yes, fluffy pants, tunic, very, you know, very ornate, but also clearly um, not, like, long flowing robes or anything yeah. like that. Like, it's definitely something that you could wear in a martial yeah, you situation. Could, you can move around in. Yeah, exactly. So, it was also very popular to walk around like a Swiss mercenary, which was you had to have your legs and feet apart, elbows out. So you'd have kind of your hands out and your elbows out. And then you'd kind of swagger side to side down the street. So you're wearing your colorful mercenary styled garb. And then you are just taking up as much space as possible, man spreading your way down the street. And they would girl. Exactly. They would often also have a sword On one hip and a buckler, which is like a little shield on the other, which when they swaggered around wearing that, it was called swashbuckling. Ah, Fun fact, that's that's where the word comes from. Yeah, because you're like kind of like doing like the swaggering while wearing a buckler. So swashbuckling. (laughs) That's excellent. So basically, what it was was a bunch of guys running around wearing weapons that, to be fair, they probably did know how to use because by the 16th century, a big part of a young man's training and upbringing right. would have been, you know, learning how to defend yourself, learning how to be part of the military if need mm-hmm. be. But it was also a lot about LARPing like a mercenary. <laughs> like, yeah, I maybe. I, I've probably never actually been to war, but I'm going to, like, swagger around and throw my weight around. Yeah. Now, a lot of the time, this would actually escalate into one-on-one fights mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe someone someone upsets you at the bar. Someone. um, So, like, somebody upsets you, you do the, like, let's take it outside thing. Yeah. So that's very much a thing that's complained about about youths. Throwing the gauntlet. I will bring that up soon. <laughs> I will slap t- bite my thumb at you yes it is exactly that it is i bite my thumb at thee and then you know i bite my thumb but not at you sir yep yep it's it's exactly that scene from romeo and julia <laughs> just that opening scene where they're all kind of like Sashaying around, thinking they own the shit, looking like peacocks, all just (laughs) itching for a fight. Itching to show that they're the toughest dude on the block. Yeah. Now, this would sometimes, of course, also devolve into just straight-up drunken brawls, or sometimes quite sober brawls. I think my absolute favorite, and by favorite I mean the most violent and awful one that I could (laughs) think of and find, would have been the St. Scholastica's Day riot. Which happened on February 10th, 1355. So, here we are in the small town of Oxford, which has, obviously, Oxford University. Right. Two university students show up to the Swindle Swindlestock Tavern. Try to say that five times fast. <laughs> which is in the center of town. Mm-hmm. So, these two students come in, they order some wine, they try it, they think it's garbage, they think it is not good enough, and they complain to the tavern owner. And they start to have, uh, you know, it starts out relatively chill, but then it starts to escalate where right. the students get mad. They come to blows with the tavern owner. Suddenly, everyone else <laughs> in the entire tavern gets up and starts brawling on both sides. Because as as people who've lived in a university town or a college town might know, there's often at least some tension between, you know, what what is colloquially known as the townies and the gownies, you know? Yeah. yeah. So uh, in Oxford in the Middle Ages that was a fever pitch. They all hated each other. So this was the the little little spark, the spark that sets off the tinderbox. So suddenly the entire tavern is brawling. You have all the students fighting, all the townspeople. Well, it then spreads out to the rest of town, and then everyone's fighting. And you actually start getting armed gangs coming in from the countryside, being like, Who do these students think they are? Coming in here, making a fuss, we're gonna go fight on the side of the townspeople. It ends up lasting for three days, this full blown citywide riot. And all in all, from what the records we have, it looks like there were 30 townsfolk and at least 63 university members died in this riot so once again we see an example of the youths doing a thing that's not not great not very uh you know they the the trouble being that a lot of the time tempers are running hotter and long-term decision making is not at its peak yet so (laughs) you end up with a three-day-long riot Last but not least, of course, we have duels, which I will go into more detail in the extras. But that's basically the situation where one man insults another man. Sometimes, you know, this could be older men or even women. But by and large, this happened between younger men. And you would throw down the gauntlet and say, I challenge you to a duel. You meet. You either do some pistols at dawn, like in the movies, or you get swords and fight fight it to first blood, typically, rather than death. Yeah. And that's basically the three big ways that the youths would quote-unquote misbehave back in the day. Sex, violence, and umbrellas. Who knew? <laughs> Gonna hand it off to Margot now.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I'm going to sort of like continue the conversation about teenagers and youths getting into trouble that I started uh last week. So as we have this like this base layer of general being upset about everything <laughs> foundation, we we have to move into the 19th century and the continued urbanization. So like we talked about how urbanization affected the idea of like the creation of the idea of the teenager before. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more now about the, the the sort of types of teenager that existed, that developed. Um, so just a little bit more background. So between 1880 and 1910, so this is around the turn of the 20th century, right? Urban population tripled in North America. So it went from 14 to 42 million. Wow. Um, yeah. And about 11 million of that was... Um, like in country migration, so moving from like right. rural areas to the city, um, and then the rest of it was immigration from um, mostly Eastern and Southern Europe, but some parts of Western Europe. So this is where the like major Irish migration was coming in, right? Um, and what happens is all of this movement of people really highlights the failure of infrastructure that American society had at this time, um, and this was. These sorts of things were also happening in Great Britain and in France as well, Um, but most of my numbers and stuff come from North America. Um, So what happens is that there's like really two kinds of youth that come out of this major shift. Um, So we have the working class youth that become sort of this major discussion in the media, right? Everybody... I, I mentioned the one kid who uh, killed a bunch of other kids in the last one, right, um, yeah. Pomeroy, and it's it's conversations like that of like what are we going to do about all of these violent youths, um, and the the middle class and owning class youths, teenagers uh, really weren't so much of this like national discussion. Like they became this huge part of the zeitgeist, and you can see them in popular culture, but they're not really they're not really in um, in media, there's not really like concerns about it. So, right, we have these sort of two, this this major class division, it really makes um, inequality very, very clear. Uh, this is also, the, the 19th century is really a period where we're really, really building this myth of the American dream, right? That, you know, you can move out west and get land, you can come to a city and get a job and make a bunch of money. All of this stuff. But in these urban areas, people are living on top of each other, right? So you have these neighborhoods where people are living in tenements and being factory workers, butting up against these like middle class to like owning class neighborhoods where people are seeing in these urban situations the vast disparity and seeing that. The, your circumstance later in life really comes down to who you were born to. And that uh, there's this inherent hypocrisy, especially in America, but also sort of being pitched in all of these major European empires, right? The idea is that, well, like we have this empire now, we went out and we fought and we died for this empire and we took all of, took over all of this space where, you know, people were just living their lives doing, you know, whatever people do, wherever, and we're going to come and mess it up, and if we mess it up enough there, then we will have all of their stuff, and you won't have to work anymore. Um, That, it was, like, very clearly falling apart um, in the major British cities, and the hypocrisy of this sort of, like, American ideal uh, becomes really clear. Another thing that's sort of happening is after the Civil War... And especially after like the draft riots that happen, um, I'm going to be talking about gangs of youths in New York. Uh, but this gangs is, of New York, yeah, this is happening about 20 years after the film "Gangs of New York," which shows the Irish draft riots of the Civil War that happened in New York. So, what you're saying is "Gangs of New York" Part Two. Yes, exactly. The sequel. Yes, exactly. Um, so. The, the Civil War is over at this point, and uh, people are really not wanting to jump into another major conflict. But this idea of how men, and especially American men, prove themselves through militaristic violence and through participation in this organized military kind of system, and this nationalistic military system so different from right the feudal system that we might have talked about with like the knights or that Sonia will probably talk about in the bonuses with the duels this is a different type of military system a new type of military system that's coming about at the end of the 19th century that rolls into what we have happened with world war one especially um and then because of not really dealing with our problems from world war one World War Two,
1: wasn't um, that the whole story of World War II? <laughs> we just never really dealt with any yeah, of that. We Didn't
0: deal with anything, and then decided to kill millions of people. Super fun time. Um, so we have these I- these sort of ideal men of America that come up in this like weird uh, militaristic system. Um, this is where we get like the Teddy Roosevelts. So right, Teddy Roosevelt. Was so desperate for to prove himself in war that he like literally started one um but this idea that like america should have an empire as well that all of these empires their greatest asset is the youth from their like metropolitan center um and that these youth are going to be sort of the the foundation of this militaristic nationalistic culture and that it's mainly young men it's mainly young men in like their late teens that that's the power of the nation um and from this we've talked about before uh we get the boy scouts and we get college um and university level sports um as a as a as a sort of proxy for military service when a war was not happening. Um, there were also other things uh, that maybe we'll talk about at some point in time when we talk about more about American imperialism, like the filibusters, which were a bunch of people who just went to South America, like got their own armies and went to South America and like tried to take over South American countries in the name of the United States, without official sanction from
1: Congress or anything. They were
0: uh, not chill.
1: No, that's a uh, quite the quite the initiative, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were the worst. Um, but mainly, like what we have is this this American ideal of the late teen boy who is like a Boy Scout is going to university and is going to be playing like college sports. Um, you know, so you have like the, and this
1: happens in Canada as well. Uh, oh yeah, it happens like all over. Yeah, Europe as well. Yeah, so you, you know, have you know the, all the, of them really get into into scouting. Yeah, I the was not youth, allowed to join the scouts.
0: The youth with the sweater with the letter yeah. on it. Yeah, exactly whole that deal. kind of
1: thing. It was too militaristic for my family. Could not could not join. I was like, I just want to go hang out with all my friends at brownies, and they're like, absolutely not.
0: <laughs> I was just not into organized group activities. Autism. <laughs> I don't care what you say about not using it for every excuse.
1: <laughs> it could literally be raining outside. And be like, it's because <laughs> <Autism>. of <autistic."> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Um,
1: <laughs>
0: So uh, that is sort of where we get this like modern idea of, especially like what becomes the like post-war youth, right? It's the birth of that is happening at the turn of the century. The, yeah, the 1890s into the turn of the century um, is where we get this like, like my grandparents shout out to my grandpa who is probably listening to this but you know they went to university together and my grandpa went on a football scholarship and they were like prom king and queen and were just really
1: adorable really cute and everybody loves them the american dream
0: yeah literally so that's that's one side of this coin now on the other side right if you were not born in rural illinois in the 1950s well they were born in you were not a teenager in rural Illinois in the 1950s Um, and instead were born in a tenement in New York City in 1890 Uh, things were real bad yeah yeah, real makes sense tenements Um, are
1: not known for being great places to grow up
0: the life expectancy for most most children who were born into this class situation was about 22. Um, It was a a horrifying situation, and that's if they even made it into their teens. So infant mortality was so high, um, especially at this period in Montreal. In Montreal, it was the highest in the industrializing world. Um, But it it was a bad time, and parents... We were not able to have sort of really any oversight over their children. Um, New York at this period, I mean, was, was being called in the media. Like I said, we're talking mostly about these middle, these working class youths in the media being very, very worried about it. These progressive reformers are writing about it, the muckrakers you might have heard of. Um, but they're calling New York a modern Gomorrah. And it's really being run by these youth gangs. So there's a a sort of another map, right? You have the boroughs of New York. And then superimposed on top is another map of territorial spaces of like carving up different uh, parts of the city that are being controlled by different gangs. And they have excellent names. So these these gangs have... Truly fantastic names. Um, some examples are... So the Five Pointers obviously commanded the area around Broadway and the Bowery. This is Makes sense. A- another thing that might be seen from uh, uh, 15 years earlier in Gangs of New York. Part one. From Martin Scorsese. Um, the other we have Eastman's Patch, which spread from the Bowery to the East River. Um, then we have the Gas House Gang. The gophers, the fashion plates,
1: the marginals, and the pearl buttons. I mean, that's the real problem with youths today: is they don't name their gangs like they used to.
0: (laughs) These are and oh, and then um, there's another one that so the most successful gang of the early eighteen nineties, the Yos, offered a detailed price list for blackmail and murder commissions. Quote. Punching only cost $2, but doing the big job ran to $100 and up. And then my personal, so that's the YOs, but my personal favorite gang,
1: the Baxter Street Dudes. I love it. <laughs> they real are, 10 out of 10 name.
0: They are amazing. Um, it was a bad time to be in these gangs, though. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, to be
1: clear. <laughs> But they I, did I, have I would not names. wish gang life upon anyone yeah. ever but like if you're gonna be living in a tenement and you're going to join a gang you may as well join, join the, the pearl street, street dudes. yeah join the baxter <laughs> street dudes join the pearl buttons those are excellent names that's all i'm saying yeah. um and like the
0: sort of thematic breakdowns that Sonia had uh the The schemes, the money-making schemes of these gangs sort of fell along similar lines. So you've seen how the Yos, for example, uh, broke down their costs for violence. Um, But the thing that they actually got most of their money from was essentially running prostitution rings. Um, Oh, big yikes. And this is where we can get into like the sexual boundaries of joining these gangs. Because obviously there's sort of the one of the only routes for survival that you can go to as a young man, and I'll get into why in a second, um, but it can be much more dangerous as a woman. And not that they weren't, there wasn't a place for them, just that you were much more likely to end up as a as a sex worker who was not in control of
1: your work. And it was... A, yeah, I mean, we can we can say yeah, I
0: think it was a bad time yes, to be a
1: sex worker. This is very much a like this is a prostituted woman yes. situation. Yes, I you know it, for the most part historically that is what we are looking at. Yeah. Like this is not th- this is not us making a value judgment on modern day sex work. Yeah, we are just talking about historical examples where women were often forced into these roles.
0: Yes exactly and um one of like the the sort of the reason that we have for this rate right, is again as i mentioned before there's a a very clear like lack of infrastructure to support these late teens um this is a, a the period the progressive period in north america um this capital p progressive and there were all of these reformers out to try and like fix these urban slums these modern sodom and gomorrahs Um, and they're really troubled by a lot of the reporting that's coming out about these young men and about the concept of juvenile delinquency a majority of like juvenile delinquents were taken in for um, sort of basic burglary and or violence charges Um, but essentially what it comes down to is that there, like I I mentioned in the previous episode, there is serious and increasing income disparity and a failure to support the poor, along with the introduction of child labor laws and compulsory education. Um, at this point in time in the 1890s, um, in North America, compulsory education went through the age of eleven or twelve, sometimes in certain areas up to sixteen, um, and these, like state-run schools or, you know, what we call in North America public schools, uh, publicly funded schools, were using forms of corporal punishment to like maintain control of classrooms. Um, so they were like, v- the schools themselves were violent, and children were being kept out of the workplace until they were 11 12 or 16 um, forcing their older siblings to often be the only ones who are providing for a family you know if because the the factory work is so brutal and so unregulated if a parent were to be injured or get tuberculosis or for any reason not be able to provide for the family then it was on the oldest children working down to the youngest to provide for the family and without a welfare state without a social safety net for people to fall back on um it was up to children to work and support themselves and when you don't create the social safety net but force children to be in schools um i mean a a lot of problems come from that so right we have uh these this unsafe unclean housing and uh as compulsory education becomes more and more of a thing sort of across North America and uh, across Europe as well, um, because in the 1890s is when France institutes uh, compulsory education. I'm not sure about Britain, do you know?
1: Not that I can remember, but I think it's around that same time. It's probably the same time. I think Canada is, like, they, they all kind of get on trend, yeah. you know? Like, it's all within, like, a few years of each other. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if,
0: if if you do this and also, like, make them a, a violent place, right, where you're being punished physically. Yeah, there's a lot of, like,
1: beating, yeah. whipping,
0: you're- et cetera.
1: Also, bullying between kids is yeah. not really a concern. So yeah. the kids are also beating each other up. It's not a good time.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, you give... There, so these kids are malnourished, not taken care of, often with like very little parent supervision because there's no oversight of like workers. There's no workers' rights. This is the period when we have you know the like advent of unions and uh, striking for workers' rights and all of these things. Um, it's a it's sort of a it's a it's a really bad time for everyone um, and children and youths who cannot take care of themselves in any other way especially. Um, So these older boys, older teenagers, turn to these gang leaders who are often sort of the strongest, biggest guy in the neighborhood who can, like, take everyone else down. And they showed up as leaders and showed that they were leaders through, like, sort of eccentric dress. They were mostly dandies. Um, One, the uh, leader of the Eastmans, uh, had his own special perfume. Um, Damn, that was son. he. He had made especially for him by a pharmacist, and it, he, the pharmacist was sworn to secrecy. Um, and he, these 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 guys then become very much like sort of an inversion of this middle class American hero. So instead of being the college sportsman. Uh, The upstanding guy, you know,
1: clean boy scout, always prepared, clean
0: cut, prom king dude. Uh, You get this very kind of flamboyant dandy who's out to do violence and like roughhouse and doesn't take no for an answer. This is where we get the show, the Peaky Blinders. They yes. were a real gang in Birmingham. Um, and it started out as a youth gang and they had their own slang, their own systems of dress. Um, and that's where we get this idea of like the youth culture, right? Um, so you have on one end, this youth culture that's moving toward, we all went to high school together and now we're going to university together and we're all on the football team or we all play hockey
1: yeah, we're all gonna get married and settle down. Yeah, and have all 2. of our five children are like in the cheerleaders, and yeah. like
0: that's great. And this very secure environment. And then on the other side, you have another culture, right, with its own language, its own clothing styles, the, its own systems of how to know that you're part of the in group, um, and all of these, especially. Uh, in the pre-war years, these youths ended up having a certain look. So if you were coming from the slums, um, most of them were under, were 5'3 or under, severely malnourished, very pale, um, sort of despite like racial lines, you're just going to be kind of sickly looking. um, And just like small. And yeah, it was just, it wasn't a great look. And this was because um, the sort of, tenement system so you had these like very dark crowded cluttered streets um that were dirty and awful and of course like right you're not getting enough food um they're not getting safe work um and especially in this period this malnourishment is compounded by the rampant alcoholism and stimulant addictions so this was the period of cocaine cocaine was not illegal uh, most
1: drugs weren't illegal yeah, yet quite honestly doing all sorts of drugs but this is my favorite piece of advice Side aside from victorian parenting manuals is that if baby won't sleep take a little opium and rub it yeah. on their gums because they're probably teething and that'll help with the pain and put your baby to sleep and i'm like yeah no shit, will put your baby to sleep you just give them opium <laughs> Yeah, so this is a period where it's like you know, cocaine is uh,
0: for your headache or for anything, and uh, most of these guys that are in the gangs are into stimulants, right? This is, uh, they're they're going the the cocaine route, not necessarily the opium heroin route, because then you can't be awake. It's very hard to be awake and be doing a lot of heroin. Yeah, makes Uh, sense. Heroin was used sort of a Against other people to keep them under control. So
1: women, yeah, yeah, yeah. And often that is how you keep someone in your prostitution ring. Yes, is exactly. get them addicted to heroin. Friends. Yes, that's um, not a tip. That's just you know how it was. <laughs> yeah. Um. And many
0: of these uh, young men would live their entire lives. It. I can't remember the quote exactly, but they talk about how these these youths would live the entire highs and lows, the entire drama of a life all within their second decade, and then probably die. Um, they were not living long lives. They were either murdered... Um, yeah, essentially you would like... It, you went from your tenement to the gangs to homicide to death so we have like these two two worlds for youth at the time right this imperial middle class success which is university to or and sports to mercantile jobs um or if we are talking about like the later development of teenager where uh you know, we talk about the sort of, like, when the term teenager became really popularized in the late 40s, or, um, into the 50s and the post-war years. Um, you know, you can move into, like, this growing managerial class. Um, or we have the tenements to gangs to homicides to being dead, uh, which is the other the other option. And it's this bumping up and mixing where these lines get, get crossed, where the... The youth culture of the working class seeps into the middle class that people get really freaked out, right? And we see that all through the 20th century. Um, you see it in the 19th century, uh, with the, uh, the, the dandy dress, with the, um, sailor dress that so dressing like sailors was really popular in manchester and uh birmingham as like these gangs and then of course they were supposed to be really cool outlaws you know and so then middle class youth sort of took that on um well into you know the 70s and 80s where we have working class punk movements and skinhead movements um that sort of permeate into the like larger youth culture of the the middle class and the owning
1: classes and I mean parents being really freaked out about it. Yeah. And I mean I, I also just wanted to quick interject that we still see that today, yeah. only now, you know, you more so see that it is both class and racially defined, right? Like yeah. when you see like black fishing and like, you know, yeah. people basically culturally appropriating looks that normally you know previously had been typically worn by lower income like black and brown people in like our current society like the um like doing your baby hairs and stuff like that suddenly becomes oh like well that's a trend now and it's like what do you mean it's a trend it's something that's been going on in you know lower income neighborhoods um of color like for a very long time yeah. so we see that same thing and I feel like parents are still really freaking out about it when it's yeah. like I mean in this when when it's cultural appropriation the parents should freak out about it but <laughs> you know in terms of other things of like the you know again what, we, they, what people talk about with like trickle up yeah. clothes and styles and stuff
0: or I mean we could talk about you know again when we talk about teenage youth culture we think of the 1950s we can think about the the music that was being produced explicitly for the white middle class. And then the music that youths wanted to listen to, which was rock and roll. Yes. Right? So, and the way that those sort of, that barrier kind of gets slippery with figures like Elvis, where he yeah. is a clean, shaven, like, put together young white man. Yes. Singing the music of the delta blues and working class african-americans
1: i just wanted to make sure that we were you know giving that nod that like this is this is happening not only across class lines but across racial lines basically of course
0: and yeah and and
1: while
0: this experience isn't uniformly racialized right there are a whole bunch of groups that are in these slums and you know other groups that are in the middle and owning classes there are because of the powers in europe and the powers of imperialism and the powers of like, racial violence in America, a lot of these class lines do fall along racial lines. So that's that. Yeah, that is really important, especially when we're talking about the ways that these youth cultures develop and are transmitted. Um, there isn't I mean, so there are a lot of like really bad things about these turn of the century gangs right it was a not a good life but there wasn't a way to have a good life if you were born into a tenement is part of it um the the cultures of the middle class is not inherently better than the culture of the working class or the cultures of the the youths in either uh the s- actual situations are where we can say like this was a bad place to be like you would want to be the guy going to university, you know, or the, the girl waiting on the phone call from her beau, you know, who was off at Yale. You don't want to be the son of factory workers in the Five Points in 1890. Like, that was just, that was going to be a bad scene for you. Um, but, like, the, the movement of the, the culture is something that we can talk about right the the creations of identity that went on the styles and the music and the slang that come out of both of these situations are one's not inherently better than the other one's not cooler than the other like they just are and they move back and forth between each other and are in conversation with each other and are often like in uh, sort of opposition to each other like oh well the guys at the university are doing this so we're gonna do this or like oh the like they're doing this down at wherever so like i'm going to wear this to my university or like i don't want to listen to that music because that's what loses you know this whole like this dynamic it's it's in opposition to each other it's in conversation with each other it exists because they exist each because of the other and are sort of a comment on the 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 way that the larger socioeconomic system develops right you have these like gang leaders walking around all dandied up expressly to comment on like what their position is and to say i'm just as good as these super wealthy guys wearing suits to go to McGill, you know,
1: or yeah, exactly, yeah,
0: or I'm I'm just as good as the guys wearing suits to go down to you know the newly opened stock market on Wall Street. Like they, that is, that is a, a specific statement. And the guys who are wearing suits are wearing suits to establish their position in society as well. So it's a it's a, a whole complex thing and and teenagers are definitely a part of it and definitely, I mean, even if we don't like necessarily talk about it consciously I think that youths now are talking about it kind of from what I've seen of the TikTok youth are definitely aware, viscerally aware of it, but um, you know, the way that we talk about youth culture or high school culture even I mean, you can see this playing out in the John Hughes movies, right? The way that the The class lines are sort of drawn out and in conversation with each other, right? You have uh, Molly Ringwald's Claire and Jud Nelson's... What's his character's name? Uh, Bender?
1: Yes. There we go. N-
0: and Judd Nelson's Bender. They, they are styling themselves and speaking to each other because of their position within the school which is which is a direct reflection of their position outside of the school yeah exactly their prospects for the position later so it's the same and i mean in greece right it's the same dynamics in greece this this youth culture is is as this we move into the 20th century and schools these neighborhood schools develop uh, these town schools where everyone sort of like pushed together, you see the dynamics of the larger city, the larger town at play within that school and creating a a sort of mini
1: society. But yeah, it's, it's a microcosm. Yeah, it's a microcosm, microcosm of the, of the, you know? the,
0: yeah. And creating a new a new culture that is then sort of spread out again right the youths are all together in a place and they're defining themselves as not being adults and part of the larger culture and so like there's part of that you know like i'm not a millennial because i part my hair in the middle and that makes me cooler than you with your side part or whatever you know like it's 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 all defined in conversation and opposition to each other
1: yeah and i think you know I mean like like you pointed out like this is still something that happens today yeah, I think it's just how people work yeah I think to an extent there has been like somewhat of an erosion specifically because of a social media and b fast fashion because mm-hmm. now there is way less of a financial barrier to you know dressing a certain way yeah. right like back in the day if you wanted to wear that suit like you had to be able to afford that yeah you know what i mean or like if you wanted to wear a certain type of dress you had to be able to like be able to afford that type of dress whereas now i mean not that i am here saying fast fashion's a good thing but i think in a certain way it is it can act as an equalizer in <laughs> in that specific way yeah, please don't, don't do the don't like do fast calls fashions. but you know well you know i mean the people who like pe- i mean i include myself like most most people who are buying fast fashion and then are, like, wearing it yeah. until it breaks down, basically, and they're, like, actually, like, yeah. wearing their clothes, you're fine. Yeah. The The issue is the, like, the try-on hauls. Yeah. yeah. The The issue is the buying a bajillion pieces of clothing and then throwing them away. Like, if you're wearing your stuff, it's no big deal. But, like, yeah, I it's mean. a nice little tangent. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry that this is a whole tangent, but I'm just fascinated by the way that, like, you know, clothing shapes like and we'll be talking about that coming up
0: probably oh we Um, absolutely will be so yeah that's our little uh conversation about being a youth of what what is it like when you're not coming of age
1: yes and what is it like specifically also to be a a wayward youth you know what what kinds of things are the olds wringing their hands about because Again, last week we talked about your straight and narrow path. I'm gonna go be an apprentice, or I'm gonna go be a domestic servant until I get married and settle down and become a full fledged adult. But this time we've talked about, you know, being being a little wild, a little rebellious. Yeah. Using your umbrella.
0: And also being the the upstanding yes. and also, American gentleman. Yes. Shout exactly. out to my grandparents. For their being an excellent example. A, s- a lovely starring role in our podcast for being cool as heck. This is
1: really, this is too cute.
0: We gotta end it here. You're my
1: favorite. Aww.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll be back uh, later in the week with bonuses if you're a, a uh, patron. And next week with, I think we're talking
1: about some marriage I think oh. we're talking about some, courtship, some courtships, some marriage, some... Some sanctioned holding hands. Steamy. It's not going to be steamy. It's definitely um, not steamy.
0: So, yeah. And again, thank you to all of our patrons. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, Grandpa. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Babiaga Project. If you want more awesome Babiaga content, uh, you should join our Patreon where you can get access to bonus content, exclusive merch, um, our super special Discord, and extra book club content. Um, We want to specifically shout out these Patreon members.
1: Yes, special thank you to John, the Age of Darkness podcast, Christian, Jessica, Jack CW, Whispering Sage, Annie, Adriana, and Katerina. We are delighted to have you on board. And thanks again for helping make the Baba Yaga Project possible. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Baba Yaga Project. And as always, thank you to all our patrons for making this project possible. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and on our website for the most up-to-date happenings. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It really helps us continue the project and expand in some really exciting ways. There's also Patreon-exclusive merch and content. And we'll see you next week!